Connections. It's four weeks. Brother Terry Shock was here last Wednesday, and I'm t- he talked about connecting to God, and that's the number one thing. Nothing that follows makes sense or is really beneficial for eternity without the first thing, right? That's how it goes. If you get that one out of order and get all the others great, then you're going to fall apart and not know why. Isn't that, doesn't that make sense? We've got to have the Lord first. But connected to family is a powerful thing. It's a, it's a little bit easy to miss, and that's really what we're talking about. Um, someone asked me about if I'm going to be teaching tonight. Uh, isn't Brother Terry teaching on Wednesday? I said, yeah. Are you teaching the following? I said, yes, because the reason why I'm teaching is because every baseball team needs a cleanup hitter. So I'm here just to, you know, I'm, you know, anything that's wrong, I'm here to correct it. So that's kind of a joke. All right. So, <laughs> but it makes me feel good inside, so I want to say it. Now I'm on, I'm, I'm looking at this. I prayed about this, sought the Lord for it. Of course, you know I would. And I'm praying that God would bless it and help it to fit you and you and you and you and all the yous here and as far off as they could hear us. Joshua chapter 4 says this, The people came from Jordan on the tenth of the first month, camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those twelve stones which they had taken from Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you would, may fear the Lord your God forever. And the key of this topic is, it's very simple and easy for us to put our focus not only on God, but on our church life, and not put a focus that we should put on our family. It's very easy to do. Now, there's a couple reasons for that. One is, some of us have family that are distant from God, and it's difficult to talk to them. Some, we've had to actually decide whether we're going to be in church or with our family. That's a difficult thing. Uh, and so we've, there are people here that have naturally found this to be a family for them. This is the best family they have. Some of the folks here are the best friends they have. If anybody feels like that way you've, in your life, you've had that happen. You know what I'm talking about. But that never excuses us from doing the work God wants us to do and being the light we need to be to our own family. Amen? There's a powerful message that, that I pray, pray the Lord gets through to your mind and to my mind is that we should have a focus on our family. There's got to be a connection with the family. Everything in the Bible, when you start taking the pieces out of it, everything the Bible has to say connects somehow or another to a family. God didn't call a man. He called his family. God didn't say, Abraham move, Abraham and his family moved. God didn't save Cornelius, he saved Cornelius and his 
family. If you start to do that search, it's just over and over and over and over and over and over again. Family, family, family. God thinks that's important, and we've got to realize there's a focus that we've got to put on it. It's in the right place. It's after God. But there is a focus we need to put on family so we connect with family like the Lord wants us to do. This happens when we treasure the people that God has given us. You might want to think about the word treasure, underline it, and realize the amazing power our influence has for years and years and generations to come. We focus on connections with our family and our extended family by being a witness to them and by demonstrating Christ to them. Family is the foundation that God uses. It's the foundation. Families started in the Bible before there was a government, before there was a church. It's God's core building block. Everything in society starts with the family. The strength of that society is the family. Destroy, dissolve the family, there's no real society. It's just a wild band of people. Genesis 2, 18 says, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Both Jesus in Matthew 19.5 and Paul in Ephesians 5 quoted this in reference to marriage. Very important. Family is the foundation. It's the starting block. And even when I'm talking about this right now, it makes many of you have all kinds of feelings start to pop up in your mind. Some of you don't really like your family. Some of you feel bad about your family. Some of you love your family, but you don't want to be with them that much. Some of your extended family, it's like, Lord, I love them, but I, I can only I can have a short amount of time with them, then I've got to be by myself. It's, there's a lot of thoughts. When I say family, it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Some of you are like, I don't have any family. This is my only family here. Uh, but God consistently goes to that core of family foundation. It makes a big difference. Family is God's focus. Two of the Ten Commandments directly deal with the family union. unit. Exodus 20 and 12 says, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord God giveth thee. Ephesians echoes that. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. There's no place in the Bible... That gives us justification not to honor our parents, our parents-in-law, just because they're distant from God. I know that may be shocking to hear. Let me say it again. There's no place in the Bible that gives us justification not to honor our parents or our parents-in-law just because they're distant from God. My mother and father came into the church. They were young, 21. They wanted to get married. Both set of parents were different. The Farino side, Catholic, of course, and Harpo side was pretty much not going to church, even though dad went to the Methodist church and led song service. They talked to dad's mom and dad, and they said, no, you're too young. Actually, it's before the 21, a little earlier than that. Um, you, you're too young. You can't go. And um, they talked to Grandma Farino. And you can see how this goes. Kind of went around everybody else. 
Grandma Farina said, sure, you get married. I'll take you to Wisconsin, get married by the Justice of the Peace. So now we have a breach. We have a problem here. You can say that they don't have, no, these people have the Holy Ghost, so they don't really matter, but that's not what the Bible says. God didn't say only honor your mom and dad if they go to the church you go to or if they speak in tongues like you do. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, that doesn't say there's nothing in the Bible that says we should honor someone and break God's word. That's a different thing. You understand that? So this is a time and place when, when Grandma Farino had to sign for them. They went to Wisconsin, and on the way there, I guess she felt a little differently about it. So she told uh, her soon-to-be son-in-law, Bill, now you can marry her, but I'm staying in the hotel room with her. And we could, until we get back, you can't marry in the Catholic Church. You're not sleeping with her. So they went and got married to the Justice of the Peace, signed a paper, and then went, and Dad sat in his own hotel room. I'm sure he was very disappointed by all that. It's like, wow, this is a sure waste of time and energy. What am I doing? Embarrassing? It's all very embarrassing. Horrible thing. So after a process of time, Mom, of course, did not get married in the Catholic Church, and that's another story. But she struggled with that and felt like it was her Goliath that she was going to... I'll tell you the story because you'll want to know and you'll say, why didn't you tell me the story? She was there in church praying and believing and hearing the word and believing things about God and the oneness of God and the truth of who God was. And she said, Bill, I can't get married in the Catholic Church. And he said, I know it. What are you going to do? Well, the entire thing was all set up. The Catholic priest had already been called. The church was picked out. Everything was done. All the Catholic cousins, everyone was ready to go. It's, uh, you know, a few weeks away. And uh, she's praying and praying and crying and crying. And she says, I can't tell my mother. Finally, she comes home from service one night and says, Mom, I got to tell you something. I can't get married in the Catholic Church. And her mother says, my grandma says, I knew it. I figured it out. I knew you weren't going to do. It was like the big Goliath that she thought was going to fight just kind of melted. But then all of her family, all of her friends and um, cousins said they wouldn't come to the Pentecostal church. So now she has no bridesmaids. No, no one. And the girls, the ladies of that church said, we'll be your bridesmaids. We'll be here for you. And so they did. It was a beautiful thing. God did all that. It came together. So life is going on. All of this is in the distant past. I'm eight years old. Jeffrey's six. Dana's one. Things are fine. Mom goes to one of those seminars. You know, those Pentecostal people go to stuff and they hear things and they feel convicted and they change their life. Well, she goes to that and, and realizes that she went against God's design when she refused to honor her mother-in-law and father-in-law when they told her, no, don't get married. So mom tells me she sat down with Alice Harpole and said, mom, I got to talk to you. Now, up to this time, I remember them as the mean grandparents. That's what they were to me. And now maybe it's because we were crazy, wild children raised by wolves. I'm not sure. But they acted like that. When you boys, of course, Dana was like, you know, a baby. You boys, sit down over there. You say, please. You get the pepper and salt. You don't throw it around the room. (laughs) You carefully place it. Just all kinds of like demands and oh my goodness and everything was so rigid and very harsh and not loving and no one hugged anybody and it was very difficult and grandpa's Kool-Aid. You don't drink grandpa's Kool-Aid. 
That's Grandpa's Kool-Aid. It's special Kool-Aid. I don't know what it was, but you couldn't touch it or go near it. He was always filling it with another thing, filling it up, filling it up. Could not go near Grandpa's Kool-Aid. Okay, whatever. I don't know what that's about. So it was a strange, strange situation. So Mom comes to uh, Alice, and she says, I, I gotta, I've got to talk to you. And she said, what, honey? And they were very not emotional people. And she said, the Lord has convicted me. God's convicted me. I, I sinned against you. And Bill and I came, we asked to get married, and you said no, and we did it anyway. And she said, honey, that was, that's been like 10 years ago. What are you talking about? She said, I don't, I don't care, Mom. I am, I'm wrong, and I know it. And God's convicted me. She was crying. And my mother said for the first time, her mother-in-law grabbed her up and held her and cried and just had to go and get herself together and wipe her eyes. And from that point on, life was different for me. It was a different home. It was a different place when I went there. It was a warmer grandma, warmer grandpa. These are things God put in his word that we break because we think we're more spiritual or because they're not, we don't have to listen to them. That's not what the Bible says. Now, I'm talking about this, and I am the most one in trouble right now. And Lord, I know you're talking to me. I hear it. Okay, I'm sorry. Because I have been dishonoring to my mother. I make fun of her and her dog all the time. And she tells me that I'm going to lose the birthright. And so, after this message is over, I'm going to call her and apologize. Lord, okay. Because they love that dog more than they love the kids. It's like, God, have mercy. That dog is their new child. They take that dog everywhere. I promise. It's not even godly. It's wrong. Pastor and Tammy went to Calvary. And um, the pedagogues uh, were talking to them. They're laughing and giving them a greeting with them. And that's Brother Mooney's daughter and son-in-law. And they said, oh, your parents were here for a big rally just recently, a big thing, a big minister's deal. And it was so funny. And uh, Jeff and Tammy said, what's so funny? Well, they brought the dog right into the church, into the basement, and then they put the dog in like a little a luggage carrier thing, and they went into the church, and the, you see the tail wagging out of the side of the thing. <laughs> and, I, and that's what I'm selling you. That's, see, that's not right. That's not right. But I've got I've to change my attitude. The Lord is talking to me right now. So I'm telling you that God's ways are right always, and it takes a long time for you and I to see the consequences of our refusal to listen to him. Can someone say amen to that, that knows the truth, what I'm saying? Come on. Listen to this one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed the adultery with her already in his heart. I said something very strange in prayer Monday night when I was sitting right over there. Brother Gordon's at. I was praying, and I never prayed this before in my life. And I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for my mom and dad and my mother and father-in-law, Bob and Kathy Huttiger. Thank you that they never got a divorce. Thank you that they didn't divorce. And you could say, how is that even possible? Because they've had, like every human being, ample reason to do that. Not anything that you would think would be bad, but just the stress of life. The reason people get divorced today because of the hardness of heart, the Bible says. That's the hardness of heart. That could happen in any home, but it didn't because of a commitment and God's mercy and kindness. 
You know that I've been in those situations where mom and dad are like, holy Toledo, you people need counseling. I don't know what's going on here. But it's not that bad, but it seems to be that bad when you're there. And, I, you know, they always struggle and all these things. I never forget my grandfather getting up early. He would get up at 6 o'clock Sunday morning, wanting to go to church and get things ready. He would wake the chickens up so they could feed the chickens. He was early, wanting to go, and I get up early. I'm here, I'm at 7 o'clock, and he's got food, and things are going. And Grandma is not like that. She's slow. She says, they'll be happy to see me when I get there. And boy, he is so angry. And I am in the front seat with him in the car. Big old, huge car, this Plymouth car, big old thing. And it's 9.10, and he's honking the horn. And he says to me, I married the wrong woman. <laughs> it's so hilarious. And, and the truth of the matter is, is until the Lord comes back, Husbands and wives are always going to have difficulty and struggles, and we need the Lord to help us. Can anybody believe that? Does anybody say amen to that? Amen. We all do. Yet, yet, I was with a family that had an explosion. Explosion in the family. A little one. One that would seem to pass without anyone's attention. Something happened. In my mom's best memory, there was discord in the marriage. Something was wrong with him. We don't know what. But she was unhappy that he didn't make much money. She was upset by how poor they were. All the kids are in church. Mom and dad's in church. But there's trouble brewing in the marriage. And at some point, without adultery, without the things I would think would be necessary for divorce... Something, unhappiness, just builds and builds and builds and builds. And frustration about not having nice things and not being having enough money and not having a good enough job just grows until there's this divorce. And it seems to be not much effect. Life goes on, but now here I am standing looking at her children, her children's children, and those great-grandchildren of hers. And some of them have no clue about the Lord. Far as can be. Some in Catholicism, back where she came from, away from that. How does that even happen? And I said, to him, when I was praying, I said, thank you, Lord. My mom and dad never divorced. Thank you, Lord. My mother and father-in-law never divorced. Thank you, God, that they were able to, with your grace and kindness and mercy, realize how valuable that is. Want to give me the best gift ever in my life? The best gift I can ever get is from my father to love my mother. Nothing tops that. Fathers want to give your children the very best, most expensive, wonderful thing you ever give them. Love their mother. Nothing is more beneficial than that. Nothing. I can't, I, I, I can't put a price on that. How big is that? Yes, like all kids, we say it's gross. And they kiss or, you know, write little cutesy notes or whatever. It's still gross. It's not, it's wrong. It's not right. But I, but it is a wonderful thing in my heart to know that they still love each other most of the time. <laughs> Several days of the week, at least, we could say that. So it, 
there's what you know what I'm where am I finding this information from? This is God's intent. This is foundational stuff. It's God's building blocks. Right? What is our key responsibility in the family? Our key responsibility is to be a keeper. Our key responsibility in our family is to be a keeper. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know, my brother's keeper. That implication by that question is, yes, you are. Whoa, that's strong. That's a hard one. That didn't say his son, did he? He didn't say his wife. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say this is your this is your dad. He said your brother, your brother's keeper. What does Strong say? And if you don't know Strong's concordance, you can get it online easily. It's the best one is E L I E L I A E L I Y A H dot com. E L I Y A H dot com. Strong's concordance. It has a list of every King James version word in the Bible. The derivative where they come to come from. It's wonderful, beneficial. Usually, sometimes you look up a word and you find out exactly what we thought the word means. It's not a big deal. Sometimes it's really amazing. It's expansive. Keeper in the Bible, you'll find that it says to keep, to guard, observe, give heed, to have charge of, keep, watch, and ward, protect, safe, save life, safe life, retain, and treasure. Titus mentions this word again, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. You can underline that right there. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So what if you're single, or you don't have children, or you no longer have them in your home? There's an amazing connection with every uncle and aunt, with every brother-in-law and sister-in-law, with every brother and sister that can lead others to God and forever be a witness to them. Uncle Joe Farino is my mother's uncle, not my uncle. That's the great Uncle Joe Farino. He's a distant part of my life, just a little bit here and there. But he's very important to me. He, in a way, he still speaks to me. And I've worked hard to dig up information about him, even this week, talking to my parents and asking them, Mom, how did this all happen? She said, Uncle Joe was on Broadway Street with his wife, Kathleen. She had gone from some other church in her past and nothing at the moment, and he was all the past of Catholicism. Had two little boys walking down past the storefront church, and uh, she said, you want to go in there? He said, yeah, I do. She said, you know, those are the holy roller crazy people. He said, yeah, I know all about them. I heard about them. They went in and heard the service, and he felt so convicted. He didn't know what to do, so he went to the altar and he just prayed a rosary. All he knew to do was start to pray the rosary. He prayed a rosary over and over again. And, the, and mom says he got the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues so long that they began to put things away. People left. He was for two or three hours there. They finally had to kind of help him out the, out of the door. Life changed forever, Uncle Joe. Of course, he didn't have a lot of structure. He didn't have a, a church like ours to give instruction. So he did some things that probably weren't helpful, like... Um, when my mother's sister, who's 15 years older, got married not too long after, he would not go inside the Catholic Church. He learned too much about it. He said, I'm not going back in there. I won't go inside the Catholic Church. But he did stand outside the front with pamphlets about the Holy Ghost. When people came out of the wedding, I know, like, come on, really, is this appropriate timing? When they come out of the wedding, 
And you know, they just wanting to greet the, everyone's excited. He's giving pamphlets out about the Holy Ghost. And then inviting them to come hear him preach across town at a revival that week. Which is like, okay, this is probably not the best use. And it made everyone so angry, and my, my grandmother especially, that he was like kicked out of the house. And later on, he was about, allowed to come into the house as long as his Bible stayed in the car. Yeah. But that was the guy that my mom said, Lord, if, there, if that's real, if that's speaking in tongues saying, if that's real, I, I, I want it, but I'm afraid. I can't do this on my own. I can't, I can't make my whole family hate me like they hate Uncle Joe. You have to send me someone to live, live this life for me, with me. And then she met my dad, and the Lord worked it out. that out. That uncle, distant uncle, still connects with my spirit. I still think about that. I still connect it. There's a powerful effect Every one of you can have one, someone. Whether you have children or not, or whether you're single, it doesn't matter. You're still a family. There's a one family unit is your family. Whether that's the two of you, or you're by yourself, doesn't matter what grouping it is, God sees you as a family unit. And you have a powerful effect. God's talking to you tonight. Wow. The Word instructs us in ways that we can help our family. The first one seems to be pretty obvious, is talking. These words which I commend you today, Deuteronomy 6 says, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them. Say, talk of them. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That's a lot of talking. Someone say, that's a lot of talking. It's very easy for us to allow the pressures of this world or in our own families, disobedience to the Lord to keep ourselves quiet. And I know I'm speaking to myself. It's just so easy. It can be a hard battle with people you love that are not doing right. You know what? Does anyone know what I'm saying? It can be a hard battle. And sometimes you don't want to say anything. But there is an importance of the Word of God about talking that cannot be overemphasized. Listen to this. How shall they then call on him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him and whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? What does that word preacher mean in the Bible? What does it mean? You all like to say it's someone behind the pulpit. That's not what the Bible says. It says someone who proclaims, who publishes. Now it can be someone that we would call a minister who proclaims publicly and publishes, but it also can be anyone who talks about good news. A preacher of righteousness is someone who speaks about good news, who shares about good news, who communicates good news. What did Peter say? What's the Bible? You need to write this down somewhere. You've got to write this. And, rem- and if you don't know what, you've got to memorize it. First Peter 2 and 9 says, First Peter 2 and 9, but you are a chosen generation. That's you. You are a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? What's the purpose? What's the following comment that will explain why all that? That you would show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Anybody here besides me say, He's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Listen, what does the Word say? Why are we a chosen generation? Why are we a royal priesthood? Why are we a holy nation and a peculiar people? That we would show forth. How do you show forth? How, does, how do we do this showing forth part? One of those ways is talking by how we live. But it's communicating. It's, it's speaking. 
Oh, Lord. Talking is a powerful thing. Judges says this, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works. They didn't know stories. They did not know any stories, which he had done for Israel. So what's the result of not knowing the Lord and not knowing the stories? And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. That's the same one, the writer wants you to know, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. Isn't that how it works? God sees it different than the people do. God says, wait a minute, I, I, I rescued you. When he says you, he doesn't think about the original you. He thinks about all of them as the you. Yeah, it was a generation ago or generations ago. This is still part of the you. I rescued all of you. I brought you out of Egypt and you're forsaking me. You're following other gods, the gods of the people that were around about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Wow. Every chance we get to be with our family, extended family or just at home family, we have the opportunity to speak. Would you like to have the message tonight? Would you like to preach what the Word says? Would you like to have the microphone and get behind the pulpit? Some of you would say yes, and some of you say no. Some of you say, never, hopefully never, Lord. But every chance you get to be with the family, you get to speak a message of the Lord. Yes, you do. You may not take notes. Hopefully, that would be kind of awkward. You know, I can't imagine how that is. Passing the glass of lemonade. Hold on, I've got something to say. And the Lord, no, that would be very un- unusual. The word, though, has to first be in my heart. Did you see that in the verse? The words that command you this day in Deuteronomy chapter 6 shall be on your heart. Do you see how that works? I can't share words that are not on my heart. The words got to get a hold of my heart before I can share them with your heart. I can't, only, I can't talk about them without them. Number two is to remind. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost speaking to us. And I thought, Lord, why would I say talking and then follow with remind? Because remind, isn't that still talking? But there's something different about it. Remind is to bring your thoughts back. It's to stir up to what's happened before. It's to say, remember when the Lord did this? And how is it that our world and our life seems to quickly pile up the good that the Lord has done and cover it up, and the bad that's happened, we seem to make that a mountain. You know? The one bad word someone says to us, that's what we remember for years, and the but the many blessings of the Lord are somehow lost. I, I love the story of Naomi Lewis, my mother's friend, who would every year write down the things God had done for their family and the prayers that were answered and read it at Christmas time. Her children had that for, they still have it, have it for decades and decades. She would write down, Lord, this year we prayed for this. We struggled with this. There was a problem. There was a situation. We're still praying for this one, Lord. This one you completely solved. This is a problem. We didn't realize we were gonna, how we're going to do it, and you made it work out. She had a, every Christmas time she'd have the papers written of what God had done for them that year. What an amazing thing because we lose so quickly. 
what God does for us. Even this last year, some of us would be shocked to hear if we begin to pick out of your life. The Lord would say, remember when I gave you that word and talked to you and encouraged you over here and spoke to you and ministered that need and, and, and helped you through this situation? And we would say, Lord, I, I forgot all about that. How quickly that happens. Here's what Peter says, this second epistle, beloved. I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Why? That you might be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles, the Lord and Savior. Samuel, the Bible says, heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. There was a rehearsing, a speaking of those. See as memorialize. Now we talked about those 12 stones. I've already read that, that verse. They literally took stones from every tribe had a chance to put a stone and made a memorial. A memorial is something just to remember. It's a landmark. It's something you can put your hands on and touch and feel. You can see the stones. You can walk by them. So that children would say in time to come, what is that about? Why are all these stones here? Why that's a special thing? What's that about? And the, and the answer would be, that's when the Lord delivered us. God let us out. God set us free. Now, I, when I looked at memorial in the Bible, it's full of, of commentary in times when the Lord said, you're going to do this for memorial. You're going to keep this week for memorial. You're going to keep the Sabbath, it'll be memorial. You're going to wear this for memorial. You're going to do this so you remember. He was wanting them to remember Something physical they can hold in their hand and, and tie around their, their, on their garments or, or maybe what they wore or how they walked or the week they went without, they lived in tents. I want you to remember when you were living in tents out in the wilderness. I want you to remember what I did for you back then. I want you to remember how you didn't know how to get across the Red Sea and I helped you. Seven days in Exodus, so you eat unleavened bread. Boy, I've had some of that and it tastes horrible. It does. I, I love yeast and bread. Unleavened bread's flat and blech. give me the good stuff. And the seventh day shall be a feast of the Lord. I can hear the kids right now saying, why are we doing this? Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall be no leavened bread seen with you. Neither shall there be any leaven seen with you in all thy quarters. And you'll show your son in that day saying, here's why we're doing this, boy. Listen, this is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came out of Egypt. And it'll be for a sign unto thee upon your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Therefore shalt thou keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. Wow. What can we do? The last one I've got in this list is testify. Testify. John 3 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Jesus is speaking, saying, We speak. That we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. Testimony has become so convoluted, so complicated, so scary, but literally what does the Bible say? Speak what we know, testify what we've seen. What did the disciples say later on in Acts 4 when they got in a difficult situation? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That means I've seen it, it's happened to me, or I heard it happen to him, or I heard it happen to her, and I'm going to tell you what happened. I'm going to carry this story. I saw it, or I heard it. I saw it, or I heard it. Acts 20, Paul said, but none of these things move me. Neither count on my life dear to myself, 
so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify, that's what Paul said his ministry was about, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. There is a very difficult time that comes around every year. It's called holidays. Some of you are put in a situation where it's, Lord, we need your help. It's the holidays again. Some holiday, you're going to be with the family. You're out there with Fourth of July or Memorial Day or Christmas. Those extended family, you know, those people you don't know very well that your mom has to tell you how you're related to them. And someone has to get a whiteboard out and draw a tree so you know whose mom went to, that's their dad. And okay, oh, so you're my fourth cousin once you're moved. And then you leave and you say, I wish they were twice removed. So it's, it's, that, that can be difficult. Anybody ever been there besides me in those holidays? Those, oh, yeah, a couple, three people have, five people. Wow, thank six. We're getting, honesty is just growing. It's an awesome thing. What does the Lord want us to do? We've got to share Jesus with our extended families, and many of us are not doing that. We've not done so. They know what I know. They know what I believe. They know who I am. I've thought that too. I've said that too. I know that feeling. It's a struggle for all of us. It's a battle. They, they know what we believe. They know who I am. But they don't. Even our own children, the Bible says, even ourselves who supposedly know the things of God, God wants us to be reminded how much more those people we seldom even see or know. Right? To speak of the things of God and to testify is not to tell someone they're wrong or cram it down the throat or attack them. It's to testify about the goodness of God, the things we've seen and heard. So many of you are great at that anyway. We're all good at that if it's a restaurant or if it's something that's working for us, or a diet, or something we've done, or our kids are doing, or something we've talked about that, because, oh, this is so exciting. Let me tell you what I've seen and what I've heard. That's all that the Lord's asking of us. Someone say amen. The family is the most influential place for us on earth, for good or for evil. What we really are, we really are at home. Amen? What you really are at home, that's who you really are. That power is enormous. They used to say the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Now, no hands rock the cradle. It's automatic thing. It just goes like this. So that means that that artificial intelligence is ruling the world. Hopefully that's not it. But the hand that rocks the cradle means that that mama, hopefully, and maybe daddy, that simple times, that's the powerful theme. What is the top attended holiday in churches after uh, Easter and Christmas? Anybody guess what that is? The top attended one after Easter and Christmas? Mother's Day is the top one in the entire nation. Top one. What's the least attended holiday in Christmas? Anybody have a guess? Father's Day. That's right. Yeah, sure enough. The least attended one is Father's Day. Even in this wonderful church, we have Mother's Day things. People cry. They feel emotional. Father's Day, it's like, it's Father's Day. Hallelujah. Okay, let's get the offering going. It, it just happens. It happens. And I know I'm exaggerating because I have bitterness. I'm not a get out to the Lord and pray over. That's not really true. But I just sometimes think about that. But it is true that we, we, 
are in a world that fathers are becoming a smaller and smaller influential figure. Amen? Where every force seems to push against that. Where it's, we don't even need fathers anymore. Oh, what a powerful place, an influential place the family is for us. What did Jesus say? If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. When the, when the disciples, uh, I'm sorry, were around him and his mother and sister and brothers came to come and get him, they said, they're outside waiting for you. And looking around at those who sat around him, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother, sister, and brother, sister, and mother. And we know the reason for that was in John 7, 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. They didn't believe in him. Though it took a time for the resurrection to happen and appear to James for him to believe in him. Even in that family, there was struggle. Even in that family, there was division. In that family, it was like, you know, you're just one of us. You're just Jesus. You're not, you're not anything special. It took something powerful to change that family. Proverbs eleven twenty nine: Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only win, and fool will be a servant to the wise. The family is the most influential place for us on earth. It's the proving ground. It's a spot to try things out. It's a place to learn. It's a place to grow. It's a place to be changed. And you know what? God is so kind and merciful to all of us that if we refuse God's guidance from our parents, if we refuse God's chiseling and hammering and sandpapering of our mother and our father trying to correct us, he is so great. He's got other people. He'll bring it to your life that will sandpaper you. You'll get a boss that's saying, this guy is horrible. And you'll get somebody that pulls you over and says, they're not going to be kind and give you a $150 speeding ticket. And they'll, they'll chisel on you. This life will. Anybody testimony to that? That you come out of the home and you say, okay, Lord, I, boy, I had it better than I thought I did. It's amazing how much my dad learned between the ages of 19 and 25. But up to 19, he wasn't seemed to be that smart. All of a sudden, he got a lot smarter the older I got. Quickly, he just gained intelligence. Family is a daily challenge. The home is that proving ground of who you really are. And real humility is needed to deal with your family. How you treat your family says so much about how you really love your God. Now that is a tough one. Because we have people in our lives that are still hurting from things their supposedly Christian parents did or said to them. They love the church people. They love church, but they were horrible to their own families. How in the world does that make sense? The Bible says it like this. If a man say, I love God, but I hate my brother, you're a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom you can see, how can you love a God you can't see? This is the commandment we have from him. That he who loveth God, love your brother also. You get a chance, I tell my boys all the time. You get a chance to show how much you love God today. It's so exciting. You can show how much you love God by how much you love each other. You know that they never are joyful when I say that. They never are excited or high-five each other. There's nothing going on in the house that's like happiness when I say that. And the same is for us. Shame on you if you love the people in this church 
but you despise your family. God forgive you and get a hold of your heart and change your behavior. That's not right. That's not okay. Being a jerk to your family, even if they don't love God, you are especially a witness to them. Of all people, what is it in us that says, oh, I don't want to think that I can, they condone. Now I'm condoning their behavior. Is that how Jesus behaved to those who were lost? No, of course he didn't. He loved them. He was with them. Now he changed them. He did say things that made them have to choose, but he didn't stay away from them. He would connect it to them. There was a touch, always a touch. Wow. Family is a treasure that God values more than we do. Recognize the amazing value that God sees in your family is so important. God wants every loving couple, that basic marriage unit, to be a living photograph of Christ, his bride in the church. We, we sometimes rush past stages of our life with children, not realizing how precious those times were. It's just, it just goes like that. It's just a snap, and then it's gone. Just here they are, they're babies, and then all of a sudden, they're 18 years old. It just happens like that. Just two weeks ago, they were born, and now, now they're leaving the house. How does that even happen? I don't know. And you know what we usually do? We're frustrated with them at times in our life. Very frustrated when we should be so thankful. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I was 12 years old. I was sleeping on the couch. I probably hadn't been doing very good. I was arguing with my mom a lot. I argued a lot. I don't know why. Because she didn't think I was right, I guess. Probably something like that. I fell asleep. The next thing I remember is waking up and her coming into the house and hugging me and kissing on me and just crying over me and saying, oh, Scotty, I love you so much. I'm so glad you're my son. thinking, what is going on with this woman? When she left this house, she was raging, mad. She threw a high-heeled shoe in my direction. Thank God it missed. I mean, it was not pretty. It was like, whoo. And now she's loving me and hugging me, crying and just kissing on me. I'm so glad you're my child. So God has given you into my life. thinking, what is going on? She said, we just went to a funeral of a little 14-year-old boy, and I just realized how grateful I am to have you. It's like, oh, I was thankful, too, that I thought, man, that can't happen every night. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a one-time thing, but I'm glad it happened. Hopefully, we'll carry this on for the whole week. It'll be a good week. But <laughs> think about that. That was horrible. It was sad, but I'm, I was I thought, well, mom really appreciates me. But I've learned from the years, thinking back on that, wow, how often I have ignored the moment. Even being an uncle, those nieces and nephews that get on your nerves. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nieces and nephews. Reagan came over to our house one time, got a hold of the keys. He was four years old. He put them in a little drawer, closed the drawer. Jeff and Tammy left. I looked for my keys for the next day and a half. I still have not ever heard from him an apology. He's never told me one time. Scott, I'm so sorry. When I was four, I took your keys, I hid them in a drawer, and I walked away. So, you know, you, you, but you realize they're precious for that little bit of time. And then I'm thankful for the time when they're teenagers. I know it's hard for me to say that, but I'm thankful for that too. There's a time we've got to realize how much God treasures our family. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says in the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. That can refer to money, of course. But also you refer to the treasures we have. You don't realize the treasure that's there at your house. Oh, God. The family, I've got 
very short amount of time. The family can actually be a church. The family can be a church. What's the Bible say? Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Now, I'm, and we know what these verses are talking about. This is a small group of a sense. But also can refer to a church in a sense. Your family can be a church house in your own home. A place where the Holy Ghost moves. A place where testimonies flow. A place where healing goes to other people. That can happen. Salute Eponidas, who is a first fruits of K into Christ. Corinthians, the churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the churches in their house. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and, Nymph- and Nymphus, the churches that's in his house. Let's ask God to see the amazing value and powerful implications of a church that can be in my very own house. If that group, my family, does what God wants us to do, there'll be an amazing effect on the world around us for years and years and even generations to come. Even if our family struggles, God can still bring his power in his recovery. Be a powerful light, our family can be, that transforms the world. Matthew says, uh, Jesus speaks, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your lights shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And the last is the house can be, and that family can be a place where broken relationships can be restored. Does the Lord care about your family? Of course he does. He can put every family back together again. He can bring it into the heart of the people to have mercy and forgiveness for each other. He can pour grace into hurtful relationships. Malachi says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that great and terrible day of the Lord. He'll restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with the curse. I sent a video out to my kids um, a couple weeks ago. It was about values. I got it from the Modinsi Masters, they gave the chess standard valuation. I don't know if you play chess or if you've ever seen chess, but in chess there are pieces that you play with. But those who understand the chessboard realize that you can give a value to the different pieces. You can give ones to pawns, threes to knights and bishops, five to the rook, nine to the queen, but to the king it's infinity. Now, this points only matter in your own head as a way of realizing how you're doing in the game. I held the king up on the little video I made with my phone, and I said, this is number one. Number one is the king. If I play the game and lose the king, it doesn't matter what I've got. If I win all the other pieces and I lose the king, I've lost the whole game. And I said, this is just an example Think about it in life. If I get every toy, every adventure, every bucket list, every wonderful thing, every great job, every experience, every awesome high, and I lose the king, the game's over. I've lost all of it. Then I held up the queen. I said, this is your mom. This is the queen of my life, the number one most important person on this planet to me. After the king, nobody's more important even you kids, even the church. I don't want to win the friendship of people and lose my wife. Now, obviously, if I've got to choose between her and the king, the king always wins. 
But after that, I've got one queen. I've only got one. She is my queen. I'm going to treat her differently, love her more, behave for her differently, because she's my queen. And then I showed them as the bishops and the, and the knights on the chessboard and talked about how everything has value, but you've got to put the value in the right places. I said, now you guys are the next pieces in my life. The most important thing in my life is my family. You're what I constantly pray about. You're what I'm constantly thinking about. You're what I, what's on my heart. You're my hardest, my prayer. I love you. And I, then later on, I was praying to the Lord. I was I'm over here somewhere praying. Uh, actually, I got here early in the morning praying one morning. And I actually said this to the Lord. It's kind of silly that I said it. But I was just, you know, complaining. I said, Lord, I'm struggling so much. I'm praying for my kids. Lord, do you, do you know what it's like for kids? Your kids have to listen to you. And he, I felt the Lord like just like, oh, okay. So yeah, God, God, it's like God was saying, yes, God, I've got kids everywhere. Don't listen to me. I got a whole, I got a whole planet full of kids. Don't listen. I, I know exactly what it's like. <laughs> so, so, oh yeah, okay, Lord, I, I know you kind of, you know that feeling too. God cares. He loves our family. And you know what's so awesome and wonderful about it? It's a simple thing that doesn't appear very churchy or spiritually or very preachery, but it's still a powerful thing of God. Just a little kitchen table discussion. Just mom cutting up onions and talking about how she came to the Lord. Just a little thing of dad over there talking about how that early prayer meeting he went to that one time and praying all night long and how God just moved in his life. It, it wasn't on a program, and it wasn't anybody, nobody had cue cards, and, and it wasn't anything about, there was no offering taken, but it was a move, this, those things stay in my mind and my spirit forever and ever and ever and ever, just something in me just hungers for that early connection with the Lord, and that those times of God, and praying, and reaching, and breaking through, what, isn't that an amazing thing, and that God intends in a family, that can be for good or for bad, and here's the horrible Yet, true thing we're going to have to say out of our mouth. God, I'm going to love my family, husband and wives, our children, extended family. Yet, I only can control one person. That's me. I can only change me. I have got to allow my children, my brothers and sisters, my extended family beyond them, I've got to allow them to have free will. If you have free will, they can make bad choices, Right? If you don't have free will, then they're going to all do the right thing. I've got to allow them free will. I can't control them. So what can I do? I can just change me. I can just change me and say, Lord, help me to be submitted to you. Help me to be a vessel you can use. Help me to say the things that are pleasing you. Help me to open my mouth and not be quiet. Help me to speak. Help me to pray. Help me to believe you and do the work you want me to do. Amen. Amen. I pray that's been a blessing to your life. If you would stand with me right now. And uh, I, want you, I want you to pray with me a minute, and then I want you to just be really kind to some people around you. Find somebody, hug them, tell them how much you appreciate them. Be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do a work of the Lord. Father, I thank you for your endless word that reaches to every generation. I thank you, Lord, for your powerful truths that are timeless. I thank you for your ability to get into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and speak to our situation. 
I pray every story, every illustration, every word, Lord, every, every verse I've read tonight has its intended effect upon our life. Do a work way beyond this moment. When the Wednesday is gone, Lord, it's blown away in the wind and dust and no one remembers this time at all. Let something still stay with us. Let us a hunger for you, a desire for your ways, Lord, to have the triumphant power they ought to have and influence they ought to have in our family. Do a work beyond us, Lord. I'm believing the prayers of Monday night, God, for my family. Not with weeping, Lord Jesus, or tears, but believing you, Lord, thanking you for what you're doing in my family. Thank you for doing, Lord, beyond my family, all my extended family. I'm believing every one of those prayers, Lord. I'm going to see them come to pass in Jesus' name. Somebody said in Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a wonderful night. We'll see you soon.